welcome to Famous with Kate and Liz. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Please take a seat. I am long-winded today, my friends. (laughs) We've been talking for like four hours. And Liz is like, hello, we have a podcast to do. Like, (laughs) what are you doing? (laughs) No, we were in it together. Catch up time before we record. And then, you know, half the time we're like, we really should just be recording this whole conversation. (laughs) I know. This is what the podcast should be. Just me, like, talking about the 500 TV shows I'm watching. I'm like, oh, my God, did you see this? Oh, my God, what about this? Oh, my God. And then we're talking about, like, I don't even know, like politics and vaccines. <laughs> we, we Very just, important just, thing. I think the kids call it a kiki. We had a kiki. Just had. A very important kiki. Um. Oh, so I'm going to let Liz talk for a few minutes and I'm going to rest my vocal cords because this is a her episode. <laughs> well, yeah, we're back. We are back with our famous adventurers series. Um, yeah, so last week we did the Galapagos Affair, which, um, I hope you guys enjoyed. It was a fun one. That one was good. Uh, That's always, like, a good story and something that's not super mainstream, so. Absolutely. Yeah, we're new to it. Yeah, so if you, um, didn't check the Instagram, you can go and find some really fun photos. Sorry about my text message noise. I don't know how to turn it off on my computer. <laughs> you are getting blown up right now. Let's dad. see how popular Liz is. She's getting like so many text messages right I'm now. Dad. <laughs> oh, that's cute. <laughs> Anywho, so this week I am actually talking about another famous Liz, a famous Elizabeth, love an Elizabeth. Um, that's my name. And um, we're going to get into it. She's also a journalist. And Kate and I oh were at yeah. UM Amherst. So, you know, I was drawn to her for many reasons. Okay, bow down, bow down. I don't even know like what you're, well, I know like who you're covering, but I am, I'm literally, I should take a picture of myself right now wine glass in my hand under my covers in my bed (laughs) literally under my covers ready for like the story of a lifetime yeah it's a pretty good I mean she's pretty impressive um so I'm gonna be talking about Nellie Bile Blyle (laughs) I had to like look up how to pronounce her last name uh so many times and I kept forgetting (laughs) um Nellie Blyle and um, she was actually born Elizabeth Cochran, um, and her okay. name was Elizabeth Cochran Seaman, um, but her byline was Nellie Bile, and she, um, Nellie Bly, sorry, <laughs> I'm gonna really mess this one up. <laughs> I know, I was like, isn't it just Bly, not Bile? <laughs> like, not Bile, Bly. <laughs> um, thank you. So, like I said, I had to look up how to pronounce that name about five times before we recorded. So, yeah, um, well, I didn't know she's a fellow Elizabeth. She is. I never knew that. Yeah. I believe are a couple Elizabeths in this, in this story. So, learning so much already. Good name. Um, yeah. So, she was born May 5th, 1864. Um, and she was born Elizabeth Cochran. Um, like I said, 
And she was a journalist, an industrialist, an inventor, and a charity worker um, who is probably best known for her record-breaking trip around the world in 72 days, which she did, um, you know, to emulate Jules Verne's fictional character, uh, Phileas Fogg, um, who went around the world in 80 days. So um, she recreated that, tried to beat the record, which um, sounds like she did. We'll get into it. Uh, and yes. she did some like really powerful investigative um, journalism. She went undercover in a mental institution. Oh my God. Going undercover is like my dream. I am not like a sneaky, like suspicious person or whatever, but I just feel like I would be the best spy. Like Nobody would suspect me. Unassuming. You got to be unassuming. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Love this for her. Okay. I'm so yeah. intrigued. So she wins undercover in a mental institution, which we will also talk about. So um, just definitely well known for being a journalist. Um, so she was born in Cochrane Mills, which is now part of Pittsburgh. Um, and her father, Michael Cochran, um, was a laborer and a mill worker, and he bought a local mill, and then he bought um, the farmhouse, and then he bought most of the land around there, and then he named it Cochran Mills after himself, <laughs> um, is the gist of it. So they had, you know, a, they were well off, you know, probably, but he, he definitely worked hard to get there. He was married twice and had um, 10 children with his first wife. <gasps> Ouch. <laughs> 10 with the first. Oh my God. And then he had five more with his second wife, including Elizabeth, um, who was his 13th daughter. Um, Got to spread the seed. Got to spread the seed, my friend. Oh, good God. <laughs> These poor women's vaginas. I but I mean, hey, they were on a farm, though. Like, that's what you did back in the day is like, yeah. you have a bunch of kids to put to work on the farm. So. Exactly. Yeah. And Mills, yeah. There wasn't so. much birth control. Yeah, exactly. So her father died when she was six, actually. Um, oh, sad. Yeah. So, and as a young girl, she was called Pinky. That was her nickname because she wore that color all the time. Um, but when she became a teenager, she wanted to act more sophisticated. Um, so she got rid of her nickname of Pinky and I love this. This is such a teenager thing to do. She changed the pronunciation or and the spelling of her last name, Cochran, to Cochran. <laughs> oh, my God. This is like um, when there was a brief time in like fifth grade when I wanted everybody to call me CJ. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking news. Yes. Yes, I was like, I CJ is so cool. Never took off. Hate to break it to you. CJ. Can you refer to me as CJ from now on? Thanks. Isn't it that Cochran? Like, she just added an E, basically, to the end. Of it. Yeah, and also, remember middle school when everybody changed the spelling of their name? Like, my name's Kate, Catherine, with a C, okay? And I was K-A-Y-T-E. Katie. That's what everybody did. They spell, they like changed the spelling of their first name just willy nilly. Willy nilly. That, that wasn't happening at my school. <laughs> no, once I got to college, I was like, I'm Kate with a C. Like, none of this baloney. Oh, yeah. In my like middle school and high school, it's like every, everybody's name was spelled like 
you know, if there was a an I in your name, you change that shit to a Y, like ASAP. <laughs> oh, my Ugh, God. Those were the days. Anywho, I going, mean, see, I can't stop. I can't stop talking. People have been doing that now, we know, since the 1800s. So Yeah, I was just being a Nellie Bly. <laughs> yeah, ch- change the spelling of your last name. It's not Cochran, guys. It's Cochran. Okay. Cochran. Cochran. That's right. Respect. Respect. Yep. Um, okay. So then in 1879, she enrolled in the Indiana Normal School, which is now Indiana University of Pennsylvania. Also Normal school? States that are within other states and like, I don't know, names. <laughs> <laughs> Indiana in Pennsylvania. What? Um, but she only went for one term and was forced to drop out because of lack of funds. So she couldn't afford it. Um, and then in 1880, Cochran's mother moved her family to, um, uh, Allegheny city, which I guess is also now part of Pittsburgh. So that's where the story gets its, its roots in Pittsburgh for sure. Um, yeah. So Elizabeth went to work at the Pittsburgh dispatch, but the way she got there was definitely interesting Uh, Definitely shows her character, I think. Um, So the dispatch ran a newspaper column titled, What Girls Are Good For? (laughs) Oh, boy. Problematic. Yep. Yep. It's the late 1800s. We can imagine what it says. But that's actually pretty tame for like that time. Right, right. It went on to just say that women are principally good for birthing children and keeping the house. And this prompted <laughs> Elizabeth to write a response under the pseudonym, which I also love, Lonely Orphan Girl, which, like, I just oh feel... Oh, my God. That is, like, MySpace. <laughs> you know? Yes! That is, like, so classic emo, like, that's my MySpace name or whatever, like... <laughs> Such a MySpace oh. name, right? I love this for her. So far, I'm, like in love with her and she's very young I mean she's like young at this time you know um so she wrote back like a heated response under the pseudonym lonely orphan girl and um uh the editor George Madden was like so impressed with her passion that he actually ran an advertisement asking for the author to come forward and identify herself um, so she oh, did. Wow. Yeah. Cause, because it was common during this time for women to write under pseudonyms. Oh, um, right. Of, of course. They, because like you're a woman, you're only good for birthing and right. housework. So if you were even like allowed to write somewhere, like to learn or how, to knew how, yeah, yeah, exactly. Knew how to write. Exactly. If you even knew oh, how to write. I'm <laughs> loving her. I love any woman in this time period who like did something outside the norm is like a hero to me because you take a huge risk. And I mean, people still are doing that to this day, like, you know, transgendered people and, you know, people are kind of sticking their necks out and they don't necessarily have to, you can just kind of like go with the flow of things. But if you really feel so strongly about something, it's like pretty amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you're just going against the social norm, which is really brave and hard to do. Um, So, yeah, so she identified herself to George, the editor, 
and um, he offered the her the opportunity to write another piece under the pseudonym Lonely Orphan Girl um, for the Dispatch. So her first article um, was titled "The Girl Puzzle," which argued that not all women would marry, and what was needed really were better jobs for women. <laughs> you know? Oh my god! Yes, I mean, <coughs> excuse me. We're still trying to like fight for the same thing <laughs> like, yeah. to this day. Yeah. So wow. but she knew. She knew. Women don't all just want to like, you know, give birth and keep house, but yeah. like, you know, there aren't any other opportunities for us either. So yeah. yeah it's like that's great if that's what you want to do, but I personally don't want to do that, which is like ironic for me to say because that's like literally what I do. <laughs> these yeah, days like not but women I mean right yeah like, like I totally respect and understand like you don't want to have kids that's cool with you like you do you boo everybody just like does their thing what why can't we just do that oh my yeah. god don't get me started and so like it was super radical for her to be saying this at this time um, uh-huh. And then in her second article, she argued for um, the reform of divorce laws. Um, her article was titled Mad Marriages. And um, this article was um, actually the first one titled under Nellie Bly um, instead of Lonely Orphan Girl. So, um, like I said, like it was customary for women to reuse pen names or pseudonyms. So the editor chose Nellie Bly after the african-american title character in the popular song nelly bly <laughs> by okay, makes sense which like i don't even know if that is like a good thing or a bad thing at this time like is that a compliment is it not like i'm I, yeah I, no. <laughs> like, I don't get it but um but that one is spelled nelly n-e-l-l-y and nelly bly is um the journalist is spelled n-e-l-l-i-e Okay, yeah, that's what I thought in my head. That's what I was thinking. Okay. Yeah, so the editor actually wrote Nelly IE by mistake. Um, and it just oh, stuck. Cool. I guess. Um, and so again, George Madden, the editor was so impressed with um her writing that he offered her a full time job um at the display. Wow. Yeah, so, I mean, I like this George Madden guy. Definitely an ally for the women. He's giving her opportunities. He's encouraging her, um, helping her along the way, it seems like. Yeah, right, right. And it did take, at that time, like, mm-hmm. you had to kind of, like, befriend a white guy to, like, get, oh. you know, advanced. And, yeah, yeah. So he kind of was sticking his neck out, too. Um, yeah, for so sure. Good. Okay, we like him. Yeah, I like him. So um, as a writer, she uh, focused her early work with the Pittsburgh um, Pittsburgh Dispatch on the lives of working women, writing a series of investigative articles on women factory workers. However, um, the newspaper started to get complaints from the factory owners about her writing. You know, the men running the factories weren't so happy she was criticizing them. Um, I'm sure they weren't. Yeah. So the newspaper reassigned her to the women's pages, which um, cover fashion, society, gardening. um, And that was usually like what women journalists wrote about, basically. Um, 
I can just picture, like, I just want to insert here, um, Amber, if you're listening, Amber V, I know you are, like, absolutely appalled right now listening, like, what is going on? I can just see her, like, raging and being a super Nellie Bly stan. Yes. Yeah. I mean, like, and that's the thing, like, so here she is, like, one of the first women even able to be a journalist, and then she's still kind of, like, not able to write what she wants to write about. Um, So she kind of grew very dissatisfied, but when she was only 21 years old, she was determined to do something no girl has ever done before. So she definitely had that adventuresome spirit. And she traveled to Mexico to serve as a foreign correspondent. And she spent nearly um, half a year there reporting on the lives and customs of the Mexican people. And her um, writings were later published in a book called Six Months in Mexico. Um, Wow, good for her. Yeah, she just was like, I'm going to Mexico and I'm going to be your foreign correspondent, whether you want me to or not. (laughs) Right. Well, and she probably read like some stuff from Mexico, like, okay, this is not like what the people of Mexico are doing. Like, maybe they would just like go ask like who's ever like president or, you know, like whatever like the higher up people yeah are you really like living with the people and reporting right and so one thing she did do also while she was there was she protested the imprisonment of a local mexican journalist who had criticized the government um that was run by a dictator at that time named um porfirio diaz and so after she started like protesting and criticizing them um the Mexican authorities like threatened to arrest her. So she had to like flee the country. Um, And when she came back home to Pittsburgh, she accused the dictator of like being this tyrant, you know, and suppressing the Mexican people and controlling the media. Like she did that um, in the, in the U S like in the U S yeah. Because she was like safe then and could say it, but you know, she went there and said, still. Yeah. Right. Like, Oh, that's still scary. Yeah. To do. Wow. Wow. Yeah, she was yeah. so brave. Seriously. Okay. So now it's like the really brave part for me, I think. Um, oh my God. That's right. There's more. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah this is like about an adventurer, like around yeah, the world. Like, oh my God. For the adventure part yet. But before that, um, in her journalism career, she did this mental asylum expose. Um, and that's just like the term they used at the time. Um, so she actually left the Pittsburgh dispatch. I don't know why it's so hard for me to say dispatch. Gosh. Um, in 1887 and she moved to New York city where she faced rejection after rejection again, because, um, her editors wouldn't hire a woman. And so she was like basically penniless after a few months and she talked her way into the offices of the one, the only Joseph Pulitzer. Oh, okay. Heard of him. Heard of him. The Newsies dancing right now in the streets of New York. (laughs) (laughs) I gotta sell more papes. Yep. Such a good movie. Um, Such a good movie. Go there now in your mind. Um, And so she talked her way into his office and the newspaper, The New York World, and took an undercover assignment where she agreed to pretend to be insane to investigate reports of brutality and neglect at um, at the Women's Lunatic Asylum on Blackwell Island, which is now named um, Roosevelt Island. 
also um, think Shutter Island vibes for sure. If you've seen that movie with Leonardo DiCaprio. Yes. Um, oh, I got to rewatch that. Yeah, scary. Thank you. <laughs> yes. So she first decided to check. Okay, like getting into a mental asylum, like she couldn't just be like, hey, I want to check in. You know, like she had to pretend to be mentally ill. So she first decided to check herself into a boarding house called the Temporary Home for Females. And she stayed up all night to give herself like a wide eye look of a disturbed woman. Um, and when she was there, she began like accusing um, the other boarders that of being insane. Um, so she told like the assistant matron of the home, like there are so many crazy people about and one can never tell what they will do. So she was just acting paranoid. Um, she refused to go to bed and eventually scared so many of the other boarders that the police were called and they decided to take her to the courthouse. And once she was there and examined by a police officer, a judge and a doctor, they agreed to take her to Blackwell Island and the asylum there. <laughs> Oh my God. So she that really is some like undercover. Believe. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Like wow. a police officer, judge, and doctor all had to like agree that she was needed to be committed. So, um, so when she was committed, she um experienced the deplorable conditions firsthand. Uh, you know, just really living what um everyone had heard about and all the neglect. And after 10 days, um, the asylum released her at the behest of the New York World newspaper. Like, they were like, please let her go. It's just awful there. <laughs> um, oh, my God. They, like, you know, said, listen, she's doing this, like, report. Um, so her report was later published in book form as well. Um, and it was called 10 Days in a Madhouse. And it caused, like, such a sensation it prompted the asylum to implement reforms and it brought her like overnight success and fame really. And she really had a significant impact on the American culture and like the experiences of marginalized women who like were bound to these asylums, which like, let's remember like at this time, if you were just like depressed, like they would put you in like a mental asylum. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> literally like women were just like oh you're hysterical because you're like pmsing yeah. you're being sent to the like insane asylum yeah. oh you had a panic attack let's let's yeah <laughs> go get a freaking lobotomy about it like yeah that's seriously. the world these people were living in yep so um this also, like, began the era of what was called, like, stunt girl journalism. So, like, going undercover and, like, doing these exposés. Um, she kind of kicked that off. And in 1893, she was, like, already a celebrity. And the status helped her um, get an exclusive interview with the allegedly insane serial killer, Lizzie Halliday. Another Elizabeth. Elizabeth number. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> well, I was thinking Lizzie Borden. There's another one. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, so she did a two-part series in October 1887 that was like a sensation and, you know, really kind of helped solidify her as like a detective reporter. And, um, you know, this was sort of like the precursor to investigative journalism and like the true crime, just everything, you know, like just reporting on true crime, really. 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This is so, crazy. I'm like shocked. And she was like 20, early 20s, like I said, you know? <laughs> so. Oh my God. Like, I didn't even know what I was doing. I what know. was I even doing in my early 20s? We were like getting drunk. <laughs> Thirsty <laughs> Thursday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're like, oh my God, we know I have no classes on Friday. This is the life. Like, meanwhile, this woman is like, I'm in Mexico, like fighting against like their political party. Yeah. (laughs) What are you doing? I know. Oh, all to shame. Um, so yeah, so like this is the famous adventurer series. So I promise now we are getting to her adventurer part because like you have to like really talk about the journalism background because that's what led her to do her um, incredible around the world voyage. So in 1888, um, Nellie suggested to her editor at the New York world that she take a trip around the world. And she wanted to like attempt to turn the fictional around the world in 80 days into fact. Wow. So this was like actually the paper's idea. It was her idea and she got the paper to, to, Okay, okay, okay. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, Got which, it. you know, is pretty cool. Like, I don't think I could go to my boss and be like, so I think I should, like, just travel around the world and write about it. What do you say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, my God. Wow. Uh, yeah, so it took a year, like, basically um, for this this idea to come to life. And so on November 14th, 1889, with just two days notice, she boarded the Augusta Victoria, a steamer ship um, that was part of the Hamburg America line. And it began her 40,070 kilometer journey. Um, She only took with her the dress she was wearing, a sturdy overcoat, several changes of underwear and a small travel bag for carrying her toiletries. Um, I mean, what did you say? Two days? Two days? Two days notice, yeah. Two days notice. Could you imagine? If someone was like, we're just going to, like, the Cape, which for me, I'm in Massachusetts, you know, I'd be like, two days, I can't. Like, that's not enough time for me to prepare. I know, I know. And so she just, like, took the essentials, the basics. Um, She had a little bit of money, about 200 um, English pounds, and some gold and a little bit of American currency. And she put that in a bag tied around her neck. Um, <laughs> and she was off. <laughs> oh my God. I love this woman. Yes. Um, and so the New York newspaper, the cosmopolitan a competing newspaper was like, all right, we're going to sponsor our own reporter, Elizabeth Bisland, Elizabeth, number three of the story, <laughs> you guys. Elizabeth, oh my God, you're so popular. I'm so proud of you. 1880s name. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like historically popular. Yeah. So they were like, we're going to have our own reporter also named Elizabeth (laughs) Bisland. (laughs) And we are going to see if she can beat the time of uh, around the world in 80 days and Nellie. Um, so she's going to go the opposite direction around the world and she's going to start on the same day, um, as Nellie. So Nellie never even knew about Elizabeth's journey until she got to Hong Kong because like 
you know, news doesn't travel fast at all in this time. So she didn't even know someone else was like competing against her. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, that's insane because now it's like instantaneously. Yeah, nor did she like even want this to be like a competition, you know, like that wasn't the point of it all. Um, And so when she did find out about that, she was like in a race. (laughs) Um, She said that um, she said, I would not race. If someone else wants to do the trip in less time, that is their concern. So she was like unbothered by it. Love that for her. Yep. And so like, you know, this is just a sensation at the time. The two newspapers have their two journalists going around the world. The New York world organized a Nellie Bly guessing match in which the readers were asked to estimate like her arrival time. Um, and like they had a grand prize, which was a first class trip to Europe and some spending. Wow. Oh my God. Yeah. So it was like, you know, a big deal. They were getting people like super into it. Um, and during her travels, Nellie went through England, France, where she actually met Jules Verne, the Jules Verne, who she is like emulating his story. Um, <laughs> she went through the Suez Canal, uh, Colombo, the Strait Settlements of Penang, and Singapore, Hong Kong, and Japan. And wow. the development of efficient submarine cable networks and the electric telegraph allowed her to send short progress reports. Um, to the newspaper, um, although longer dispatches had to like travel by post, so they were delayed by a few weeks, but she was able to send like short messages and updates. That's cool. Mm-hmm. And she also traveled using steamships um, and the railroad system, which caused, you know, sometimes some setbacks, particularly in Asia. Um, but while she was in Asia um, during her stop, she visited a leper colony in China um, and in Singapore, she bought a monkey. So, you know. <laughs> oh, my God. What didn't Nellie Blyde do? Like, can you just tell us that story? And then <laughs> we'll know everything she did. Because I think she's literally done it all. Yeah. I mean, she needed a companion for the trip. So just buy a monkey. Totally <sighs> fine. <laughs> Little monkey with a diaper on. <laughs> Love it. Um, So as a result of rough weather um, during her crossing of the Pacific, she arrived in San Francisco on the White Star Line ship of the RMS Oceanic on January 21st, two days behind schedule. However, um, the New York World owner, um, Pulitzer, chartered a private train to bring her home, and she arrived back in New Jersey on January 25th. 1890 at 3:51 p.m., which was just over 72 days from her departure originally in Hoboken. So she definitely beat the 80 days. Wow! And this is like I'm reminiscing about the um, bicycle lady I covered. Yeah, <laughs> I can't remember her name, but like she went around the world on a bicycle. Like I think around the same time. Yes, totally right. It was. Yeah. popular destination journey I guess <laughs> and yeah it's like what can we sell the papers like that's what we're looking for like what's the next big thing to get everybody talking and everybody excited it really so really that's crazy. pretty interesting yeah it was all about that publicity um so she was back in New York um and you know she had gone around the globe traveling alone for almost the entire journey till that monkey 
Um, and Elizabeth, uh, the other Elizabeth Bisland, was at the same time still crossing the Atlantic, only to arrive in New York four and a half days later. Sorry, Elizabeth, number three, not good enough. <laughs> Sit down, Elizabeth, number three. Sit yeah. down. She had also missed a connection and had to board a slow old ship, the Bothenia, Bo- Bo- uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, and Sounds good. In place of the fast ship, the Utur- the Eturia, I don't know, these ship names, um, which Nellie was on, um, so she got to make it on the fast trip, and um, yeah, so so she made the world record, which was actually beat just a few months later by a guy named George Francis Train, who went um, around the world, and um, he had completed it in just 67 days, so one upper, but she did have the record for a little bit. Wow. Well, I'm, I mean, even if I just feel like traveling around the world as just like a single woman in that time, like, I don't care how many days you did it in, like, you could do it your whole lifetime. And that's impressive. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Totally agree. So, you know, it was, it was a huge story. Um, yeah, so, so she made it back, and after the fanfare of her trip around the world, she decided to quit reporting, and she decided to instead, um, write novels for the publisher Norman Munro, and, um, he had a weekly New York Family Story paper, and so, like, basically at the time, like, they would publish, like, chapters of novels in the, in this paper that people would read along to, and I think that was, like, kind of common, like, these books would first appear sometimes in, like, newspapers in large chunks. Um, Yeah, that's a good idea. I mean, how else are you going to get it out there? Exactly, and so she wrote this story for the the New York Family Story paper um, called Eva the Adventuress, and it was based on the real-life trial of Eva Hamilton, um, a real-life woman, and so she wrote this story um, between 1889 and 1895, and um, I guess, like, only a few copies of the paper survived, and these novels were, like, thought to be lost until 2021, when an author named David Blix, who I got a lot of my information from, shout out to his website, <laughs> found their, these, like, missing novels that she had written. Oh, my uh, God. That's crazy. It's like when all these like old people have these tag sales, it's like, or estate sales, like, you know, the kids are just like, oh, whatever, just like sell all this shit. But like, you don't know what could be. I know. In your parents' home. Author himself. And so he just like probably knew what, you know, knew her name. Um, So like, I'm reading this. I'm like, okay, this adventurous woman wrote about another adventurous like I have to look into who is Eva Hamilton now <laughs> yeah seriously did you I did oh, I need to know I I need to know right now right yeah so who is Eva Hamilton aka Eva the adventurous and what was like her infamous trial all about so Hamilton you are thinking about a 
founding father Hamilton, and you are right. So, <laughs> oh, okay, Alexander Hamilton. Yes, New York State Assembly member Robert Ray Hamilton, the great grandson of founding father Alexander Hamilton, had been seeing a woman named Miss Eva Steele for about two years when in 1888 she told him that she was pregnant and she was expecting. Um, then she like went off to months of seclusion and came back and introduced him to his daughter. And so Hamilton, Robert Ray Hamilton, like was like, okay, I'm going to marry you. I'm going to do the right thing. He married Eva and they left their public life in New York and they moved to California. Um, so then eight months later after their move, Eva was charged with the attempted murder of the baby's nurse. (laughs) (gasps) okay that's a twist yes so this is what nelly was covering really this information because it became this huge trial actually um okay so this is kind of like this story is pretty crazy but um eva Steele was like this quote-unquote adventurous really named eva man aka eva parsons aka eva brill (laughs) so she like i feel like okay if you have that many names like I'm sorry, something sketchy is happening. Yeah, exactly. So she had already was already married to a guy named Joshua Mann, and she carried on with both him um, and Hamilton for years before convincing Hamilton that she was pregnant with his child. Um, oh my however, God. There is no evidence that she had ever been pregnant. Um. <laughs> Okay. This is also a time when you could just like buy babies <laughs> on the black market. Which yeah. Mean, I'm sure, but you know, it was like a little bit easier back then. Or um, just steal a baby. <laughs> steal, yeah, exactly. So um, apparently she purchased a child who died. Then she bought another child who also died. Then she bought oh my a third. God, no. Then she bought a third child, but that baby didn't look enough like the first one, so she sent it back. Then she bought no, a child, no. and that's the one that she passed off as Hamilton's daughter. Oh my God, I don't like this. <laughs> it's insane. Um, How okay. many children died? Oh my God. So once she was married, she was still supporting um, her like husband, the other husband, (laughs) um, Joshua Mann, with like her pin money that she would get from Hamilton, which was like $6,000 a year. Um, And that was like a third of her, of Hamilton's like income that she's like sending off to this other secret husband. Okay. He's like living the actual life. Yeah. Seriously, he's the winner here. Like, and Joshua Mann is the winner in this whole situation. Yeah, I'm like, okay, go off. Yeah, so then in August of 1889, while staying at a resort in New Jersey, Hamilton tried to cut off some of her pin money because, you know, I think he was catching on. And he and Eva got into a fight, and the child's nurse tried to intervene. So then Eva fired the nurse, um, who got drunk, came back and told Hamilton the truth about um, Eva still being married to Joshua Mann. 
So then a fist fight broke out between Eva and the nurse, the drunken nurse. (laughs) And Eva was like pretty beaten up, um, but she managed to grab a dagger and stab the nurse in the abdomen. (laughs) Oh my God. Things that always go down at these like nice resorts. It's like these crazy. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) So true. Um, yeah, so she was arrested, Eva was arrested and charged with attempted murder, and, um, before the, because the nurse actually didn't die, um, before the trial, the story about the babies started to come out, and Robert Ray Hamilton just, like, did not defend her anymore, he, like, kind of abandoned her, um, you know, his support of his wife and the nurse actually survived. And then the charge was dropped to aggravated assault and battery. And Eva played, pled self-defense, but ended up um, convicted with a maximum sentence of 10 years. But given that there was a fight involved when the stabbing happened, the judge sentenced her to only two years. So again, sentencing has oh been for years. <laughs> yeah, still, that's also still ongoing. Okay, okay. Yeah. So when news of the scandal broke in August of 1889, Nellie had returned to New York and she drove, like, she just dove into the case. Um, she couldn't get enough of it. She wrote three stories right away. Each one, um, you know, kind of demonstrated a different aspect of her journalism career, like the undercover reporter, the friendly interviewer, and the, uh, you know, someone who can describe social conditions really well. Um, And so the first story was, like, pretty obvious. It was was called Nellie Bly Buys a Baby. (laughs) 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 Title for the obvious one. And uh, this was like kind of like a perfect sequel to an 1887 piece that she had written called What Becomes of Babies, in which she posed as a young mother trying to um, get rid of an unwanted child. And so she had done undercover work there. And um, so in this article, she plays a wealthy prospective buyer and is trying to track down a woman who claims that she sold one of the babies to Eva um, so that's what like the first piece is on. And, um, she also had like a follow-up interview, um, with additional, um, you know, interviews with Eva from prison. Um, and that was just kind of about her prison life, you know, so, so articles on that. Um, and we know that, the novels that she wrote, um, she wrote really quickly because she interviewed Eva Hamilton in early October, 1889. And a month later, she was like on her voyage around the world. So, um, she wrote them like within a month pretty much. And, um, the novel that she wrote, uh, started to, the pages started appearing in the New York, um, family, story paper in late December. So she was like already traveling. They must've already had it completed so they could publish it. So definitely she was like intrigued by Eva's stories. So yeah, that is basically Eva the adventurous, the um, baby stealer slash attempted murderer uh, that Nellie covered. And so, you know, from one adventurer to another, um, I, I know she wasn't like much of an, real adventurous at least from her trial but maybe she got that nickname someplace else 
I don't know. <laughs> yeah, whatever. We got two adventurers for one here, I feel like. Yeah. That was like a crazy side plot that I had no idea existed. Exactly. Same, same. So, okay. In... 1895, Nellie married a millionaire manufacturer named Robert Seaman. So her married name is Elizabeth Cochran Seaman. Uh, she was 31 and he was 73 when they got married. Also like cock and semen. I don't know. <laughs> it's suspicious. Yeah. Another reason to go with cock rain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's just, yeah. it's a little, little sus as the kids would say these days. So despite her husband being oh, much older than her, um, it really did seem like she loved him because when his um, health started to fail, she left her journalism and writing career and succeeded him as the head of the ironclad manufacturing company, which made steel containers such as like milk cans and boilers. Um, so that's like where he made his millions as a manufacturer. Um, and in 1904, he died. So that same year, um, ironclad began manufacturing steel barrels that um were a model for the 55-gallon oil drum, which is still in widespread oh. use in the United States. Well, I was going to say, like, ironclad sounds familiar to me. Yes. And so, yeah, it's still this 55-gallon barrel oil drum is still very much used today. And there have been claims that Nellie invented the barrel, um, but the inventor was registered as a Henry Warnin. Um, yeah, made-up name. She obviously invented that shit. Yeah. Well, she so she was like an inventor in her own right. She actually did receive a patent for a novel milk can and a patent for a stacking garbage can, um, both under her name, Elizabeth Cochran um, Seaman. So she did have a couple patents, but she probably really did invent the steel barrel that's used today still. Um, wow. And she was one of the leading women industrialists in the United States. But um, it doesn't sound like she was like the best businesswoman because some of her negligence and some embezzlement by a factory manager resulted in ironclad manufacturing going bankrupt. Um, oh. Yeah. And then on January 27th, 1922, Nellie died of pneumonia at St. Mark's Hospital in New York City. She was only 57. So, oh no, that's too young. Yeah, I feel like if you traveled around the world, like you should live to be like in your 90s at least. Well, she accomplished so much. I mean, she saw so much more than people who did do live, you know. That's true, that's true. Yeah, um, and she is buried at Woodland Lawn Cemetery in the Bronx, New York City. Uh, she has received numerous awards. In 1998, she was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. And Nellie was one of four journalists honored with a U.S. postage stamp in a Women in Journalism set in 2002. Yay. So. Well, God, I mean, I feel like she should have way more, like, accolades. I think she has an episode of Drunk History, if that counts. That's oh, my God. Yes, she does. Her first. Yes. <laughs> you, okay. Well, I know what I'm watching tonight. I know what I'm falling asleep to tonight. 
Yeah. I'm like, I know I had heard of her before. And then when I was doing my research, it was like all coming back to me, but I'm pretty sure they've covered her. Um, and yeah, that's Nellie Blyce. She's incredible. She's an adventurer, a, a journalist, an inventor, and an all around good time, it sounds like. So, wow. We are totally Nellie Bly fans now. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. Oh, well, God, I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do next week now. I'm yeah, I, mean, I think we've got the Elizabeths covered, so you don't need to do someone named Elizabeth. <laughs> okay, I will cross all those off my list, all the famous Elizabeth adventurers. Um, wow, thank you. I feel like I really know Nellie Bly now, so I, thank oh, you. Yeah. She's there. She did so much in her short life. So definitely, definitely someone to be aware of. Um, and if you don't know, now, you know, so yeah. Mic drop. I think we end right there. Thank you I for think- listening. We will see you next time. Bye. Bye.